Hey folks, you're listening to To Know the Land, broadcasting from the traditional treaty territories of the Mississauga of the Credit on 93.3 FM at the University of Guelph. Or maybe you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's a show about people's connections to the land base, how we interact with the land, how we learn about the land, how we defend the land. And today we're talking to Michelle Stein and Bill Knoll from Protect Our Waterways, No Nuclear Waste. Can, can you two introduce yourselves and tell me a little bit about the area that you're living in? Hello, I'm Michelle Stein and um, I moved to this area, oh, I guess it was about 25 years ago. My husband and I, when we got married, we had a um, pretty much a cow pasture with a bank barn on it. And we slowly turned that into a working farm where we milk sheep and raise beef cattle. And a description of the land, it's beautiful. Um, there's rolling hills. Um, we've put up a house on the hill. Every window I look out of, I can look towards bush and trees and rolling hills with the most amazing sunsets and sunrises. Um, we have the Teeswater River um, running not too far from our property. Um, there's swamps that lead into the Greenock Swamp. It's just a beautiful agricultural area. Hi, and I'm Bill Knoll. Uh, I've only lived in the Teeswater area for about 11 years. I uh, worked uh, in Canada and the United States. I'm a retired executive from uh, a number of telecommunications companies. Uh, I live uh, just south of the proposed DGR site. Uh, nice hobby farm, uh, has the Teeswater River running through it. And as Michelle alluded to, uh, it's a very pretty countryside. It's extremely uh, pleasant to live here. It's quiet uh, and it's a uh, great retirement home uh, for, uh, for my wife and myself. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. It sounds like a beautiful place. And from what I remember growing up to Teeswater, it was, it was lovely seeing my friend's place and the beautiful farmland nearby and then being so close to the lakes. When I was up there, in Teeswater last year, that's when I first saw the lawn signs. It said, no nuke dump. And I didn't know much about it then, and I still don't know too much. Um, but let's start with this. It's the Nuclear Waste Management Organization Plan. I want to know what that is, but what is, what is a DGR? Well, a DGR is what they call a deep repository uh for under, underground deep depository. So it goes down around 500 meters or 700 meters, depends where they find the solid rock. And they line out with a bunch of cavities. It looks like a tree underground with a bunch of branches, uh, branches uh, underneath. So it's 1,500 acres. Uh, they'll do a lot of mining. A lot of ground will have to be removed uh, so that's what a DGR is. It stores uh, highly reactive, radioactive material, such as the spent fuel coming out of the reactors. It's um, one of the most highly reactive or radioactive materials on Earth. And that's what a DGR is. Want to add anything, Michelle? No, I think that pretty much covers it. Is It's basically a 1,500-acre um, underground mine that goes through our aquifers and beneath that they want to place the world's most radioactive material um, in these mines and in containers that they hope will last and then they're hoping the earth will take care of it. 
from an objective perspective, that's insane. But um, can you can you tell us a little bit more about what South Bruce Council's plan is? Like, they are they just do, do they own the site already where they want to do this? Are they digging already? What what's their plan? They have um, fifteen over fifteen hundred acres. The NWMO has either purchased or they have what's called an option. And the option is if they decide that South Bruce is the place where they'd like to place this repository, then those people who've signed those agreements, their farms are sold. If they decide that South Bruce isn't the location, those particular people get to keep their deposit or whatever wording they use, but then they get their farm back again. But there is quite a few hundred acres that the NWMO has outright purchased and owned. And so with this, they're going to be digging a giant pit into the, into the ground, under the aquifers, and, and burying the nuclear waste. Yeah, it's more like a, they describe it more like a mine shaft um, yes. that's going to be going through the aquifers and then 1,500 acres worth underground. Um, and then they're going to have to move all the waste here. So they're going to have to build a repackaging plant above ground. Um, but moving the waste here will involve at least two transport loads a day coming into our community. How, how, is, how is it transported? Is it by truck or train? It'll be by truck because um, there are no train uh, facilities here in, in South Bruce. The, um, the underground, uh, there are separate cavities. A number of cavities are built. So they put so much into a cavity and then they seal it up uh, with various materials. They call it five, five layers of barriers that would protect the, uh, the bundles or the containers that are inside this cavity. And has this been done before? Have, have folks done this well, successfully never. or? Well, never done before and it's still not being done. Uh, and it's, uh, as we often say, it's an experiment because there are no uh, experiences to base your calculations on, or all those scientific calculations that are done, the numerous assumptions that are made relative to what's going to happen over the, such a long extended period of time. This thing has to last hundreds of thousands of years, uh, and there is no scientific information that would allow you to accurately predict what, what might happen over that kind of period of time. The other, the other aspect is the closest country to actually doing something here is Finland. So a lot of the information that the NWMO is using is based on other countries like Sweden and Finland. But Finland actually has created and built a, a DGR in the ground. Uh, and they're planning to go ahead on 2024. That's if they get approval from their government. Uh, and that's one of the issues with any of these DGRs is the fact is that you've got to get uh, proven from the community, from the government, and uh, it's a long process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like according Where? to, sorry, according to the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission, there's only one DGR operating in the world. Um, and that one is in New Mexico. It's called the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant. And it is for low and intermediate level uh, radioactive waste. 
And they had an accident in 2014 um, that resulted in radioactive contaminants getting above ground. Um, it took them three years and $500 million to um, clean up that mess. And it's interesting to note that it's in the middle of the desert, um, 35 kilometers away from the nearest town. And it's on a huge piece of property that's over 10,000 acres. And if you compare that to Teeswater, where we have the rivers and the swamp, and from the proposed site, you can just look over yonder and there's the town of Teeswater with their elementary schools and the Gay Lee processing plant. Hmm. There were two other DGRs uh, attempted, they were both in Germany and, the, and they uh, deposited the fuel in a salt mine, which by the way, uh, even the Canadian uh, Atomic Energy of Canada and the National Research Board of Canada had agreed back in the 60s that, you know, depositing this stuff in a salt mine was, was a good idea. Well, it turned out it wasn't a good idea. That leaked, and, the, and they're still trying to figure out how to uh, actually get the material out from, from down in the DGA in, the, in that location. Um, so still big, big problems. If you have a problem, since it's buried underground, always very difficult to extract anything or to contain the, the poisons and the toxics that are, that are going to be released as a result of a leakage. What if, what if, I have so many questions. What is um, the, the provincial or federal or indigenous governments in the area, what are they saying about the project? Um, the comments that I've had in response from letters I've sent to different levels of government Basically, the overwhelming response seems to be, well, there is a lot of jobs in the nuclear industry. Don't worry, it'll only happen if it's safe. So they're pretty, like, they're just not really giving anything, not really sharing nope. a lot of information. Nope. Okay. We don't get much of a response from them, except, yeah, yeah. that seems to be the common answer. Where, where is the waste coming from? comes from all the reactors here in uh, Ontario. So that's the uh, Bruce, Bruce Point, uh, the, uh, Douglas Point, uh, also down in, in uh, Toronto, the Darlington and Pickering. And then the other location is New Brunswick uh, that uh, they're bringing it across. There will be some from other locations like Saskatchewan where they had previously a a uh, experimental uh, location. So my, mainly anything across Canada where there was nuclear power used, the radioactive waste, uh, the spent fuel will be trucked here to uh, Teeswater. There is one other location and that's Ignace up in the uh, northern part of Ontario that is still in the running. So we have two locations that the uh, NWMO are looking at for possible DGR locations. What's the response in Ignace? What, what, what are the folks up there thinking? Depends on who you talk to. Um, the people that we find we're talking to are very much against this project as well. And in fact, we've kind of shared some resources with them as we're, we're fighting the same cause, trying to protect um, water sources. The issue primarily is that uh, our councils, and in the council up in Ignace as well, 
uh, we're depressed communities. We're losing population. We have empty storefronts and, and they have the same condition, except up in Ignace, it's on Crown Line, uh, farther away from any uh, established community. But the, the issue we face all the time is our, our council is uh, very much in favor of having this project go ahead because they see it as the opportunity to do economic development in the area. And so they get blindsided by the money. They get, the NWMO is very freely in handing out money. So they hand out money to every organization they could possibly think of in the community. They call it the well-being uh, of the community. We call it something else. But uh, anyway, I'm not at liberty to say what that word is. <laughs> the, uh, the bottom line is that um, we find uh, these councils are uh, very pro even though they say no, they haven't made a decision yet. Uh, they're still uh, waiting to, to get more information so that you can be informed and make an intelligent decision. But the reality is uh, we've been going on here for uh, since 2012. And I don't know how much information I need to be informed, but uh, I'm getting kind of overloaded with the information. And uh, I've done a lot of research. Michelle's done a lot of research. And in fact, our whole group has done a lot of research on what are the pros and cons? All we hear from NWMO and from our council actually is, oh, it's going to be a good thing. Look at all the jobs it's going to bring and look at how the community is going to benefit from it. And we actually don't want the community to change that much because if you change from a farming community, which is a nice quiet uh, industry, uh, doesn't cause a lot of issues, it has no toxic waste. Um, to a mining community where you're going to bring in 700 workers or 800 workers during the operation. That's a major, major change. Teeswater is in our population. The whole South Bruce population is only 5,600 people. And uh, that is going to be a significant change for this community. And, and we're not sure all of the capabilities of uh, or the people here that live that we're are going to want to be working at this uh, nuclear dump. We call it a dump, by the way. Uh, they don't like that terminology, but that's what it is, because when you put something that you don't want, the waste that you don't want deep in the ground, and bury it and abandon it over a period of time, then it is a dump. And and that's what we uh, we believe. It sounds like a dump. I mean, you, it sounds just like, any conventional garbage dump that you read about or hear about or, or, or that has existed. When, with the South Bruce Council, y'all have called for a referendum a couple of times, it sounds like. And yeah. so what's, what's the resistance to a, re a referendum? Well, the, the resistance really is, uh, I think, uh, apprehension. Uh, we have been out to the community before COVID-19 hit, and uh, we have signatures of, you know, 15, 1,600 people in this area already that are saying they don't want a, a DGR. So there's apprehension on the part of the council that if there was a vote, that it might go the wrong way for them. And uh, so they're very reluctant to do that. Um, this is a typical approach by the NWMO. They like to delay things, delay, 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 um, get more informed, get more educated. And uh, at the end of the day, um, that's their strategy is to kind of 
work on you until you're tired of it and say, okay. Um, and that's, that's the bottom line. And the, the real problem with the council is they're so in tune with the, the money flowing their way and the benefits, the economic benefits that they think will, uh, will happen, uh, that uh, they're totally aligned, even though they don't say so. They're totally aligned with the objectives of the, uh, of the NWMO. The NWMO's only objective is, is this is not a technical problem relative to storing the waste. It's a political problem. Uh, they have dealt with this issue since the day they began, which is 50 or 60 years ago from a point of view of the issues with what do you do with the waste? And uh, they haven't come up with a good solution. And so they're looking at this being, okay, we got a solution, so therefore we can create more waste. Uh, that's the spent fuel, this toxic uh, chemicals. And uh, that's the bottom line. So their both objectives are going to be met. Uh, the NWMO is going to be able to dump the waste in, in this dump here. And the council field are going to get all kinds of benefits out of it. So they're one and the same. What's what's the reaction of other folks in South Bruce? I guess again, it depends on who you talk to. But the fact yeah. that we've um, collected over six, you know, fifteen, sixteen hundred signatures of residents, um, we've lost count on how many signs have been going up. Um, there's people contacting us still every week requesting signs for their properties. Um, that's a very polarized uh, issue. So it, it tends to divide the community. Uh, there are people that obviously enjoy the benefits of working at uh, Bruce Power that live in the community. Uh, there are you know, other aspects that uh, the nuclear industry has been very generous with their dollars in, in Bruce County. And so they, they feel as though they're a good corporate citizen, but uh, so you, you have that. So that's why we, we really do want a referendum or a binding referendum or a vote on the issue so that people that don't always have a chance to do an in-depth study of what this is all about. And, and so far, all we've heard from our council and from the NWMO is the good things associated with uh, creating a DGR. So the bottom line is that people... Um, don't have the time to do in-depth studies. Uh, we think that the simplest way of deciding whether or not the community is a compelling, willing host community, as the NWMO always say, that you must be a compelling, willing host community. And by the way, you must also be informed. But the, the bottom line is the best way to resolve and to help create the, uh, the a better act community is to let people vote do a democratic process period don't try to circumvent the the whole process of uh, people's opinions or people's rights to have an opinion and like bill said it's it has become a very divisive um, issue within the community and if you provide a referendum where everybody is given the opportunity whether they take that opportunity or not but everybody's given the choice to give their voice in a way that doesn't have to be public because a lot of people are scared to state their opinion on one side or the other. Um, so if we have a democratic 
um, referendum where everybody gets a voice and a chance to state their opinion. First of all, that to me seems fair because everybody gets a chance to speak and everybody will be able to speak because they don't need to be afraid of somebody seeing what their answer is. Do you feel like in the case of a referendum, from what you see in the community right now, that folks would vote against the project? I think so. We um, commissioned an organization called Main Street Research, um, and they did an independent telephone survey. And the results that came back from that survey was 64% of the residents vote no. Um, 16% would vote yes and 20% were undecided. 64% would say no. Yep. That's, that's, that's an overwhelming majority. It is. But according to our council, that survey wasn't worth the paper it was written on. So that shows you what council's opinion of us is. (laughs) We we actually presented that at one of their council meetings and that was one particular council's comment that, uh, you know, uh, and that person's made other comments relative to this project. Uh, come back and tell us when you got 50% of the people agreeing to uh, not have a DGR. And then until you get that, uh, don't bother us. Hmm. Again, if you're just tuning in, we're talking to Michelle Stein and Bill Noel from Protect Our Waterways, No Nuclear Waste. You can look up their website, protectsouthbruce-nodgr.org, or you can just Google protect our waterways, no nuclear waste. I had a question about if it's not about a DGR, it's not about burying uh, the nuclear waste in these big pits by the lake. What, what's, what's the other option for dealing with nuclear waste? Do you know about any other options? The, uh, the, the current view uh, by several people is that there's nothing wrong with keeping it stored on site. Um, the, it's the, um, you can reinforce, get, reinforce the containers that exist there now uh, and keep on managing it from that location. The, the advantage of keeping it above ground and being and managed is that if there is a problem that does occur, you can react much more quicker than if you were trying to solve a problem deep down on the ground. Um, you can fix that issue. Whereas if it's in deep in the ground, you're gonna have to go down there where already there's radioactive material been released because there is a leakage. So you have to take extreme precautions when you're down there and then, then you gotta fix it underground. So the uh, Dr. Gordon Edwards says, you know, a approach that has been proven many times over in the world is called rolling stewardship. And that only means that uh, you continue to keep it stored above ground, you harden, you learn from the technologies that uh, will advance in the next 20 or 30 years from a point of view of storage of this material until you find a real solution uh, that can actually eliminate the radio material, radioactive materials half-life down to a much more manageable. Uh, right now, some of the material in here, the radioactive material will have a half-life of millions of years. And uh, it will remain uh, dangerous for a long period of time. 
So that's that's the whole theory behind it. But but again, we don't feel it's our responsibility to find an alternative. We think the people that generated the waste, such as the nuclear industry, it's their job to find a better solution than burying it in the ground, uh, monitoring it for a period of time, and then abandoning it. They really do uh, plan to abandon uh, this site after uh, a number of years. They might say it's 100 years, but don't forget, uh, we're going to exist a lot longer than 100 years, I hope. And uh, the, uh, so that thing will be there. Uh, it looked like nothing at all uh, from a point of view of the surface. So all of the buildings on, on the surface will be removed and it'll be totally abandoned. And uh, we say, well, you know, uh, that's, that's not a good thing. And um, that's kind of where we are with the whole issue. It sounds like, they, I don't know, it's, it's kind of overwhelming. How do y'all deal with this when it feels so overwhelming? Some days you're not sure how you're going to make it through the day and you try not to think too far ahead. And then other days you're like, we're going to keep working on sharing this information and making sure your people hear about it and that we continue to stand up to um, protect our water. Um, I know for mm -hmm. my husband and I, because they own property next door to our farm. So when we discovered that, we thought we should go into the office and ask some questions. And for us, the biggest question was, what if this affects our water? And on that particular day, their answer to us was, well, you know, we don't have an answer for that right now. But it's good to know the reasons behind your concerns, because we explained that um, if our sheep and beef cattle don't drink water, they don't produce milk. And if they don't produce milk, I don't get a paycheck. Um, and then that's when we kind of left the office and decided we needed to start looking into information. And one of the reports that I read shortly after that was, I guess, the final straw for me in saying that this is not acceptable. Um, in one of their technicals, it states, containers for the disposal of used fuel are typically designed for a very long life. When the containers eventually fail by corrosion as a result of groundwater ingress into the repository, waste constituents can migrate out of the disposal facility and enter the biosphere. And to be honest, after I read that, there's, there's no way that anybody can ever convince me that this is a good idea because mm -hmm. once we've destroyed our water, what's left? Yeah, yeah it's not easy to fix uh, from a point of view of the of if you do pollute the water, it's an extremely, uh, and by the way, the aquifers here supply the water, the drinking water for Tees Water for most in Miami, which are the three largest communities within uh, South Bruce. And in fact, if you ever go to Miami, you see that artesian well that's on the outskirts of Miami. Well, that's coming from the aquifers that are in this area. So it's a tourist attraction. The other comment on that is it's a tough fight. Uh, we are a self-funding uh, small organization. We're up against a very prop, very powerful organization called the NWMO. They're very good at what they do. Uh, they have loads of money to spend. And the, the actual nuclear industry behind them. <laughs> yeah. The actual uh, expenditure for this current year uh, by the NWMO is $138 million dollars. 
that's what they're uh, they're spending in their organization. So, uh, and besides that, they they do a lot of advertising, and as I said before, they do a lot of support for the, the well-being of the community. Uh, give money to schools. Give money to you know communities that can repair certain facilities or improve the fire station and whatever. So uh, it's a it's an extremely challenging. Uh, game that we're in and uh we look for grounds to just support from the from the people of the community so without their support uh this is going to be an impossible fight so we always look for for people that are going to feel the same way as we do and and write letters to the uh, editors of papers write letters to council let them know how they feel because Often people don't have time to do that. So it's uh, very appreciative that the people in our community do do that and, and help us. And that's what keeps us going. Uh, the bottom line is it's the support we get from the people in this community and from elsewhere. We have a lot of people that feel the same way about the uh, DGR, that it's far too early to experiment with it, uh, given that there is no practical experience anywhere in the world. Um, why are you rushing ahead with an experiment when you don't have to? So again, it all boils down to it's a political necessity relative to the nuclear industry so they can continue to expand. Uh, they need to solve the problem of waste. The, the site, how far is the site from Lake Huron? And, and in relation to that, um, there's, I think Michigan next door. Is there any sort of cross pollination or working with uh, folks in the states there? Um, your answer to how close to the lake it is. The proposed site is about 30 kilometers um, from the lake. Um, but like we mentioned, the Teeswater River runs right through this this proposed site. Um, which then goes into the Greenock Swamp and joins up with the Saugeen River, which flows right into Lake Huron. And um, I do know that in the proposed DGR, there was one proposed for the Kincardine area for low and intermediate level waste. Um, and there's been quite a few mayors from Michigan signed um, a resolution against that. I've also seen as part of that resolution, a lot of those mayors from, I think I even saw names from Ohio yeah. and um, a lot of states that there shouldn't be a DGR for nuclear waste anywhere in the Great Lakes Basin. Now, between COVID and everything that's been going on down in the United States, um, it's been a little tricky trying to uh, make those connections, but um, we did see, I think earlier last year, the, uh, state of Michigan did send a resolution to their government requesting that they take legal action if Canada goes ahead with a DGR for nuclear waste. So we're hoping that maybe things will calm down across the border and we can start working on those relationships and get some help from across the lake. 40 million people get their drinking water from Lake Huron. Again, this, like, I, maybe y'all have to present a bit of, a, of, of an objective perspective trying to work on this and being local. But for me, it sounds insane. It sounds so 
crazy to put a giant nuclear waste dump besides one huge, like 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 a, a, an aquifer that feeds people in your local community, beside one of the Great Lakes that extends to hundreds of communities all along the, the shores there. And inevitably those waters flow through the other lakes too. And they just keep going and they keep going. Uh, it's, it's just, and like you said, in their own materials, uh, the nuclear waste uh, organization, what, what, um, I just wanna get this right. What's their nuclear waste management organization in their materials they're talking about not if the containers fail, but when they fail, yep. knowing that they will fail. And I mean, that's, that's, that's any technical uh, mechanical function will fail over time. And you're, we're talking about a lifespan of a million years. And we don't, I don't, we've never done anything that big. And it's such a terrible, like, I'm overwhelmed by it just talking here. And and like yeah. Bill said, there's no practical experience that they can base these models on. Well, the only experience we have is that uh, human error occurs. Uh, there's yeah. no scientific calculations that can factor in accurately. I mean, they'll say yes, yes, we've we've considered the uh, human error incidents, but you know, you can't figure out the human mind. Uh, and problems do occur. And uh, in fact, most of the major catastrophes with the nuclear industry worldwide have been a result of human error. Uh, we had, uh, if you remember, the incident in Toronto where there was a false alarm sent out to people in that community saying there was a, a, an issue. That was human error. Uh, so you just can't predict, no matter how hard you try, to be able to uh, take into account all things that are going to happen, it's not possible. It's uh, mm -hmm. just scientifically not possible. So um, that's that's the issue we have: is that you can't predict this accurately, and you can't give me a hundred percent guarantee that a problem isn't going to occur. The other thing they always tell us that you know we've enjoyed the benefits of the nuclear industry, the power generated by the nuclear industry. So you people. Uh, your generation, our generation, need to deal with this problem because you've enjoyed those benefits. We always say we need to look after what is essential for life for the generations that follow us, and that is to make sure we don't have pollution like we have with the climate change that they've got to deal with. And there's no doubt that pollution occurs with any kind of radioactive material. And so we want to protect their water. We want to protect their food. And that's essential to us. And the air they breathe is essential. The other things are not so important. So burying this waste isn't anywhere near the importance of having the essential things of life protected. The environment needs to be protected. We failed once. We, want to, we don't want to fail again for our next generation. Yeah, and then the next generation, and the next generation, and the exactly. next generation. Yeah, what what stage of the process is the project in now, and and what are some upcoming timelines that folks should be paying attention to? 
Well, the, the major thing is that right now we're in what they call phase three. So the NWMO has a nine-step process. And by the way, the, you know, our council and the community just follow exactly the lead of the NWMO in this regard. So they, they've developed a process and, and they would say we're in step three, uh, phase two. Well, next uh, spring when it comes around, they'll do borehole drilling which is what they would consider the idea of, of going down 700, 800 meters in a, in, with a borehole drilling and then testing to see whether the rock is suitable for, for DGR. I'm sure the answer is going to come back, yeah, it's suitable. But it's, uh, that's the phase we're in right now. So that's in 2021. They, they have a number of studies going on uh, right at the moment within the uh, – municipality as well as the NWO that are occurring over the next year. So over the next year and year and a half between now and 21 and 22, the early part of 2022, they will have completed those studies, which they say, well, that'll decide whether or not this is a suitable location and whether the community is a compelling, willing host community. And then after that, in 2023 is where they where the NWMO say that they're going to select the final uh, location. And once they select the final location, then there's a binding agreement that's formed between the municipality and, and the NWMO, which you can't back out of. Uh, and that's in step six. And that would occur sometime in 2024. Uh, those are the real critical things for us. Now, once they select a, a site, then the NWMO has got to go through what they call the impact assessment. Uh, and they've got to provide information to uh, the federal uh, government, uh, Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission, the environmental groups within the government. And that's going to take a period of 10 years. So uh, that's their estimate. So we're not going to see any construction occurring here until uh, at least 2020 or 2033. And then after the construction starts, there's another 10 years of construction. So before you ever see the first waste being deposited underneath in the ground, it won't be until 2043. So it's a long way off from that perspective. So, you know, we're looking for uh, a much more expedient, much more quicker solution to the nuclear waste problem than waiting 20, 30 years. Because we know within 20 and 30 years, there's going to be all kinds of technology. Technology doesn't stand still. So there's going to be all kinds of technology development that will occur over that period that may well solve the real problem associated with nuclear waste, and that's to eliminate the radioactive component of the waste itself. So that's kind of a quick overview. Mm -hmm. are, there, are there ways that folks like me or folks that aren't there can get involved, that we can participate and support you? Yeah, there's lots of ways that people can help and support us. Um, there's writing letters to different government officials. Um, we encourage people to put up signs. Um, the uh, NWMO really does not like that we have signs going up all over the place because most people, when you talk to them about burying nuclear waste underground, it does not sound like a good idea. So. Mm -hmm. um, they kind of like the less people who know about it, the better. So we encourage people to uh, put up signs, join us in letter writing workshops. 
Um, we're hoping COVID um, settles down and we can start holding some protest rallies. Um, and the more people we have out in yellow shirts, the better. And, and what you're doing right now, Brian, is just, you know, helping us uh, get the message out that uh, the community here doesn't really, uh, we don't feel as though we want this in our community. Um, any help that uh, people in your social area or, you know, helping us in any way they can uh, talking to their own uh, municipality uh, and telling them, you know, this is not a good idea. Because, you know, when when you look at it, these trucks, these transport uh, will be coming through these communities. And there is radioactive waste uh, that is emitted or radioactive components that are are going to be emitted while the trucks drive through there. Uh, communities, and if there is an action that occurs and the, and the truck has to be repaired, then, you know, those particular locations will be exposed to even more radioactive uh, components. So anything you can do to help us in that regard is great. And if people go to our website, we also have an Ontario-wide petition that they can download and collect signatures and send it back to us. And that website again is www.protectsouthbruce-nodgr.org, or you can just Google Protect South Bruce or Protect Our Waterways, No Nuclear Waste. And the Facebook page is Protect South Bruce, No DGR. Y'all have a great online presence, so it's pretty easy to find any information if y'all are looking for it. And, and this is a, a long thing, a long struggle, a long fight. So it's not just about this next next few years uh, of struggle against this, but it's a long haul project. Um, Michelle, Bill, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about uh, the fight up there and what y'all are doing and how, just what's going on. Cause it really is, it, it's, it's, it's gross, this idea of what people are thinking about burying nuclear waste in the ground in the middle of a watershed by the Great Lakes. I mean, and I think that y'all have some good ideas and, and thank you for sharing them and share, taking the time to be on the show today. Thank you very much for sharing our story and letting people know about what's happening in our agriculture community. And thank you, Brian. Yeah, thank you very much. You've been listening to To Know the Land broadcasting from the University of Guelph on 93.3 FM, or perhaps you're listening again online, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to learn more about the show, you can check out tonowtheland.com, or you can always email me at tonowtheland at gmail.com with show ideas, suggestions, or feedback, critique, whatever. Have a good week. Tune in next time.